Okay, welcome back to the iHeart Tucson podcast. Today, we're giving you a Tucson housing market update. And here to help us with the market update is Patrick Chamberlain. Patrick is the leader of the Continental Realty team. And before becoming a realtor, he also worked in the new homes biz. So he definitely knows the Tucson market. Uh, he's a whiz when it comes to these types of things. And he's going to tell you everything that you need to know about where the market is at today and where he predicts it's going in the future. Uh, so how's it going, Patrick? Oh, good, Jose. How's it going for you, man? Good, good. Awesome. Staying busy. We all are. Good. Yeah. So um, what are just kind of just to give a quick summary before we get into it, what are a few of the things that you specifically want to go over and let people know about? So one thing I kind of want to dive into is that a lot of people hear just on the news that like home values are skyrocketing and so we must be in another bubble. But the fact is that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that most people don't really know about. And uh, I honestly don't think we're in a bubble. Um, and I'll go into that um, in, in our podcast today. Yeah, yeah. That's a word that people love using is bubbles, housing bubbles, bubbles gonna pop. It's like people are waiting for it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, they go right back to 2008 um awesome okay so let's start with uh one of the first things which is being the housing shortages uh how do you see that going long term and you know short term and long term yeah so as you all know like every economic market is driven by just supply and demand um so right now over the last year and a half two years we've had a shortage of homes for sale in tucson and in the united states in general um i do not see that changing um on the short term as we head into fall, uh, we might see a slight increase in inventory, but once we get into the winter, back into spring and summer, we're gonna see inventory drop once again. Um, but long-term, um, supply is going to stay short. Um, there's just no nothing coming down the pipeline that's going to increase the supply. Um, so yeah, long-term, it's gonna be short. Short-term, you might see a slight increase, but the next couple of months, you're gonna see a decrease. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, what about the uh, builders? How are they, are they able to keep up with the demand of people wanting, you know, to buy new homes or are they falling behind as well? Yeah, so the builders are actually the leading cause of why we're in this housing shortage right now. Um, over the last 10 years, uh, like clockwork, our number of households in the United States has increased by 1.3 million. But during that time, builders have only built 800,000 houses in the United States every year. So over the last 10 years, we're now 5 million homes short um, that we need to be for a balanced market. Um, so a lot of that has to do with um, after the crash in 2008, a lot of the trades left the industry and they never came back. So they couldn't, they didn't have the labor to build the houses. Today, uh, there's still a shortage because of the supply chain issues that we're having because of the COVID impact. Uh, so being 5 million short, they're building 800,000 houses a year. Even if the builders were somehow able to double their production, it would still take us six years to balance the, the supply of homes. And we're talking about doubling. That's not the case. We're actually seeing the number of homes built cut in half. Um, one of the local builders here just cut the number of homes they're selling per week in half just because they can't keep up with the demand. And so how's he going to stay short because builders can't build homes? Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. So just you can't uh, bring supply out of anywhere, right? It needs to come from somewhere. 
so exactly so so another rebuttal to that somebody you know would be saying well what if more people just decided to sell yeah so selling doesn't add to the supply because every time a house is sold it's purchased by somebody mm-hmm. so that's just going to be a neutral wash it's not increasing uh, when somebody sells their house they have basically two maybe three options either they're going to sell their house and they're going to buy another one well, they added one to the supply and they took one away. Or they're going to sell their house and then they're going to rent. But because they're renting, that's going to add to the rental demand, which is going to increase the cost of rent, which will increase the amount of investors who are buying. Not only that is when you increase the rental demand, well, now you need more rental properties. So investors have to buy homes to create more rental properties or you have a shortage of rentals. Um, so. And then the third rare option, I mean, if someone dies in a house, they're not going to buy another one, or someone sells your house, moves out of the country. Yes, that'll add some supply, but we're talking less than 1% of homes being sold, um, probably less than a tenth of a percent. So that's really not an impact. Uh, so the key is in the builders. The builders have to, to pick it up. The only way to have more homes is to build new homes. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go off to another subject here that is pretty popular, uh, forbearance. What do you see happening with that in the future? Yeah, that's one of the popular things I hear on social media or just people who are talking about real estate just with their friends and stuff said, oh, debt forbearance is going to crush the market. We're going to have a wave of foreclosures just like we did in 2008. It's going to pop the market and we're going to crash and I'm going to buy low. Well, in reality, with debt forbearance, because there's the, the government doesn't want a wave of foreclosures flood the market because that'll crash the economy. And so everyone who is in debt forbearance, they've been given this whole laundry list of options that they can go through before going through that foreclosure process. Um, The most common one I'm seeing is anyone who has an FHA loan who went through debt forbearance. Well, the government has given this option as a silent second. And so whatever you are behind in your payment, they're just making that into a second loan on your house, interest only, no payments required on that. When you go to sell your house, that'll get paid off from the proceeds when you go to sell your house. So that person had debt forbearance, zero impact. They're not having to pay it back in this balloon payment uh, that everyone's talking about. And then even with a non-FHA, a lot of the balances are just getting tacked on to the ends um, of, of the loan. So instead of a 30-year loan, maybe a 20 years left in your loan, they're going to add two or three years and make up that money there. So this the only instance where people are coming up with a balloon payment is if they don't have a job, they can't qualify for a, a loan um, modification. Um, and even those who don't qualify for that and they get that payment, the balloon payment, well, they're not gonna get foreclosed on. I mean, over the last year, they've increased their equity by 30%. They're just gonna sell their house, take the money, pay off the loan, go buy another house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're not gonna see this wave of foreclosures. Yeah, just situations are different. People have equity in their homes, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, when people are talking about forbearances, one of the things that come up is uh, evictions. So, uh, what do you think? What are you thinking? What are your concerns about the eviction moratoriums? Or how does how does that say moratorium? The eviction moratorium. Yeah. There you go. So that one, it's it's interesting. That's that's the one they keep on kicking the can down the road. They Mm -hmm. keep on. Um, So that one for renters who are not paying their rents. A landlord cannot come through and evict them um, during the COVID pandemic. Um, 
some people are saying, oh, well, when that ends, there's going to be a whole bunch of people kicked out of their houses. Landlords are going to sell their houses because they don't want to be landlords anymore. Uh, so what impact is that going to have? So either the landlords are going to, yes, evict them, but the people who get evicted, they're just going to go rent at another house. Um, the second way is that the landlord, once they do evict them, they're, they're either going to increase rents to make up for the money that they lost, or they're going to sell it to another investor who wants to buy this investment property based on the past rental history. Um, so that's not going to increase supply. And the only thing it's going to do is going to jack up the rental demand. And rents are going to start skyrocketing, um, which again makes home buying a little more enticing if you know that rentals are going to go up. Exactly. One thing with rent is that it, it changes every year. If you buy a house, you lock in your rate. For the most part, that's your payment. So, and with rent, you're paying every month, but you're not owning anything. You know, at least you're paying something that you own with the with the, uh, with the home. Yeah, there, there's no equity gain and there's no uh, loan pay down. Mm -hmm. and there's no tax write-offs. Yeah, yeah, and many people say, you know, well, the affordability, the affordability. Well, you actually go against what most people think, in that affordability is still there, uh, especially in Tucson. Uh, despite the high demand. So uh, yeah, you want to go into that a little bit, the, uh, the affordability, even like maybe cost of entry, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, just talked about the supply, like you said, the supply and demand. Well, the demand side of real estate is really tied to affordability. As long as homes are affordable, people are going to want to buy houses. And uh, this one's probably going to be a hot button issue for anyone listening, but housing is still affordable in Tucson, historically. Um, one of the things a lot of people want to do is they, they look at the recent history and they say, oh, the cost of homes are increasing, mortgages are increasing. Most people are only looking at the last couple of years, maybe 10 years at the most. Well, 10 years ago, 2011, it was historically the least expensive time to buy a home. So of mm -hmm. course we're seeing home values or the cost of living increase since the bottom, that's just natural. But if we go back to um, before the last crash, back when housing was more normal, uh, normal, um, people actually spend 25% of their income on a house. That's still true today. But um, as we go into affordability, affordability is kind of broken down into two categories. It's the cost, cost of entry, which is how much money you need to purchase a home, and um, affordability of can I afford my monthly payment. All right. So you said that there are a lot of costs, uh, cost of entry. You want to go over that a little bit? Yeah. So one, one of the legs of affordability is cost of entry. Um, so cost of entry, again, is just how much money it costs to purchase the home. Do I have enough money to buy a home? Mm -hmm. uh, typically, the minimum down payment to buy a house is 3%, plus you got to pay your closing costs at about 2%. So let's just say 5%. Well, the cost of entry, no doubt, has increased over the last year since home values have increased. 5% of last year's median price was $250, so you only needed about, what, $12,000? But now the median price is $310, and so now you're going to need $15,000, so your cost of entry has increased $3,000. Mm -hmm. But not only that, because the competition to buy a home has increased so much, 
sellers are only looking at the strong buyers. And so the strong buyers aren't those buyers who have minimal down payments. Those are the people who have 10 or 20% down. So the people who barely have enough money are getting squeezed out. So the cost of entry is increasing more than just the, the minimum down payment. Now, now instead of 5%, you're going to need 10, 12, 15, 20%. Mm -hmm. um, we used to have down payment assistance. Down payment assistance would help those who didn't even have 5%. But in this market, when someone has five or 10 offers, they're probably not going to look at someone with down payment assistance. Um, someone who's doing FHA, VA, in a situation of five or 10 offers, probably not going to get your offer accepted. Um, and so again, that's just increasing the cost of entry. Um, if you are one of those buyers, though, the best way to um, increase your odds, you're going to have to increase your price. You have to entice the seller to want to take the risk of your offer over the other offers. The only way to do that is increasing the price of your offer. Another thing that we're seeing, we're seeing appraisal guarantees. Uh, buyers are coming in with their offers saying, hey, if it doesn't appraise, we'll pay the difference. But you can only do that if you have the money. And so again, people who don't have the money or people who have the minimal funds, they're getting squeezed out of the market. So in that sense, with the cost of entry, yes, homes are becoming less affordable. Yes, they are. All right. And so for a lot of people here, maybe people that are on the lower end of the down payments, uh, maybe saving up, uh, what is some advice that you would give to them? Yeah. So, um, I mean, live minimally, try to cut out your, your Starbucks runs, you're eating out. Um, but one of the best things to do is uh, when you're, you're looking at a house, you figure out what your mortgage is going to be eventually start living with that payment. So say you're renting at $800 a month, but the house you are wanting to buy is 1,500 bucks a month. You should currently be living as if your house payment is 1,500. So that allows you every month to put $700 away into savings. Mm. And it allows you to get used to that payment. So when you actually have a house payment, you're already used to living with that payment. Yes, yes, great advice. Um, okay, so we've talked about some of the costs of entries, those are one-time payments. Now let's talk a little bit about the ongoing costs. Some of those things that could be monthly, you know, bi-monthly, anything like that. Yeah. So the other leg of affordability is the monthly payment, right? That can I afford this monthly payment? This is where I say that home, homes are still affordable. If you have enough money to buy the home, the cost of monthly owning it has not increased or has not become less affordable. Um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think is that over the last 30 years, the median, the mortgage on a median price home has been 25% of the median household income. So the median house, median income, 25% is going to that. That's healthy. Um, that's the average over the last 30 years. The bottom, like I said earlier, 2011 was the bottom. So of course we're going up since 2011. In 2011, we were at 14.5%. So the median, the mortgage on a median price home was only 14% of the median household income. Super affordable. Let's look at the opposite of that. Let's look at the peak of the bubble in 2006. In 2006, 40% of people's income was going towards their home. I mean, no wonder the housing market crashed. Nobody could afford a home. And so buying it, 40% of your income is going to your house, 20% is going to taxes. You're living off 40% with the rest of your, your expenses. Today, we're still at that 25% mark. It's kind of crazy to think that even the home values have increased 24, 30% over the last year, home values 
our, our mortgage payments are still at that 25% mark. So that's, that will be accounted to the rates, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's one thing that people really don't take into consideration is that, yeah, home prices have increased, but we're seeing historically low interest rates. Mm -hmm. If you look at last year, the median price home was like 240, 250, but your interest rate was 3.75. A mortgage on that is going to be somewhere around eleven hundred dollars. If you look at today, the more the average, the median sales price in Tucson is three ten, but interest rates are two point eight seven five. That mortgage is going to be about twelve fifty, and so even though home values have gone up thirty percent, your payments have only gone up ten twelve percent. Because of that, homes are still affordable. Yeah. So basically, the point of the whole podcast is it's still a great time to buy. Yeah, you, you can still afford to buy a house. I mean, we're at 25%, really, that like 90s to early 2000s, it fluctuated between 25 and 30% of your income going to housing. So for us to hit 30%, we still have another 20, 25% of price increases to go before we hit 30. And God forbid, if we actually do become a bubble and we actually do match 2006, home values can still increase 65% before we hit that 40% of our income going to our house. So mm. there's still a long ways for this market to go before houses actually become unaffordable. So you talked about ongoing costs and monthly payments being one of them. Uh, for the first time home buyer, what are some other ongoing costs that the typical you know, first time home buyer would not know about? Yeah, so I guess one, one of the big things is, um, I know a lot of people look at online calculators for their mortgage payments. And a lot of them just show your principal and interest or just the loan portion of it. Um, a couple other things you want to make sure that that monthly payment is including are your taxes. Um, taxes are paid through your mortgage payments. Um, what else? You have your, uh, your insurance. You have home insurance you have to pay for every month. Um, if depending on how much money you put down or what type of loan program you're going through, you could have uh, mortgage insurance, which is another um, ongoing cost. Uh, if you live in an HOA, you might have um, HOA cost every month, depending on where you're at. It could be 25, could be 150 bucks a month. Um, and then just ongoing repairs of the house. Now, as you own a house, you have to have money set aside to purchase a home. So those are ongoing costs uh, besides just your mortgage. Mm, okay. Yes. And since we're getting towards the end of the podcast and we are having, you know, predictions, market predictions. So what is your overall about, you know, maybe two to five year window of how you predict the market's going to be? Yeah. So this is kind of where it gets interesting. I don't see a pullback whatsoever. So I think over the next year or so, we're still going to see this 2% a month increase in home values. Um, it's going to get to a point where we do become less affordable, but a lot, what a lot of people don't know right now is that in Tucson, one in four homes are purchased cash, with cash. Cash, yeah. One in seven homes in the United States since COVID were purchased by an investor. Those are, and yeah, those homes purchased cash or those comps, you know, those are new comps for the neighborhood. Just pushes the houses. And when the investor buys a house, going back to the supply, when an investor buys a house, he's going to rent it and rent it forever with these institutional buyers. They mm -hmm. have no plans ever to sell. So when you sell that house to that institutional buyer, that's one house not going back to the supply ever. And eventually, investors buy up enough houses. There goes your supply forever. Not only are we yeah. not building houses, 
and if they market because investors are holding them. And if they do for any reason do sell, they're selling to other investors. Yeah, sell other investors. But yeah. they're probably not gonna sell, they're probably just gonna yeah, that's if they, they do they'll probably just pull money out of their asset and go buy another one. Yeah. So yeah, supply is gonna stay low because builders can't build fast enough. Investors are gonna buy houses and not put them back on the market. Demand's gonna stay high because interest rates will stay low. Mortgages mortgage payments will stay affordable, and there's no reason for anyone to stop buying houses. The alternative is to rent. And one crazy thing, if you think rents are bad now, rents are lagging home values. They always lag home values. If people buy a house for more money, they're going to want to rent it for more money. And so 2022 is going to be a rough year if you're renting. You're going to see a lot of rental increases. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one thing that we're seeing right now where we have a lot of people talking about right now is these past couple months, just the market slowing down or, or at least scaling back a little bit. How do you see that just the end of this year going for the Tucson housing market? Do you yeah, see well, it, you know, going yeah, up? The kind of thing is like after the last crazy year and a half of COVID, we're actually seeing the market go back to how things were right before COVID. Uh, it's very common to see uh, less homes hit the market this time of year and for buyers to dip this time of year. So we're going to see inventory increase. That's super normal for August, September, and October. School goes back in session. People don't want to sell their house, so you get that little lag, that little drop in uh, in activity. Once you get to November, December, you get the snowbirds back in here. You get to January, you get tax returns. People are start buying the houses, so that's super normal over the last next couple months. Next month, you're gonna see an increase in inventory. Once you get to November, December, you're gonna start seeing a decrease in inventory and buyer frenzy once again. Mm -hmm. So take advantage of September and October to buy a house while it's not less less competition all right so where do you see the interest rates in the near future and you know looking out a couple years from now yeah um i see interest rates staying low um i think the government is uh getting their hands in there and artificially keeping interest rates low um, i mean the fed is buying 40 billion dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities every month so that right there alone is going to keep interest rates low when i say low we're talking under or around 3% four-year interest rate. Historically, uh, over the last 30 years, 6% or 7% is the average. We're never gonna give back to those days. Once you give it, you can't take it away. So we're gonna stay around that 3% mark. And again, why is the government doing this? Well, they want interest rates low because they owe so much freaking money is that they keep interest rates artificially low, they pay less interest on the money that they owe. So they're, uh, motivated to keep interest rates low, which is good for you buying homes. All right. So now what do you say to all the people that, you know, have just been sitting on the sidelines, maybe, you know, saving their money or, you know, they're ready to go, but they're waiting for some type of pullback or a big crash or the bubble to pop. You know, what, what do you say to all those people? I, I hear it all the time. And honestly, it just, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. Um, one of the things is when you buy a house, do you want your home value to increase or decrease? You want it to increase. So why would you want to buy a house when home values are going down? It doesn't make any sense. And secondly, all those people over the last year, year and a half since COVID hit that are saying, you know what, I'm just going to wait it out. I'm just going to buy when the market crashes. All those people missed out on 20 to 30% increase or equity build because they didn't buy a house. They bought a, a medium price home last year 
their median price home would be worth 60 grand more than last year. So sitting on the sidelines costs you 60 grand for something that's simply not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We took advantage of that. We got some offers in over this holiday weekend and got lucky with one. And, you know, we don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, we know a lot of people left town and that probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. We're seeing instead of 10 offers on houses right now, we're probably seeing only three or five offers on a house. Exactly. When people say it's cooling down, like, yeah, well, yeah, it's relative. It's relative. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. This is this was a great podcast. We will make sure to you know have this regularly, maybe once every couple of weeks, once a month. So you know, whenever the market shifts, we'll definitely be letting you guys know. Patrick's on top of it, and he'll be back. Thank you.